going to start now. So uh, um, thank you all for joining in. Uh, this is a virtual session about vascular trauma. It's going to be presented by Dr. Ahmed uh, Amir. He's the head of the vascular unit in Jabir Hospital. Just a few tips before we start. Um, uh, I need you guys all to change in the chat panel to change it to all panelists and attendees. Um, so everyone can see your questions if you have any questions and please any questions can you write them in the chat box so everyone can see it and we can answer it um, and thank you for joining in again um, I am Dr. Lulua I'm in the general surgery board program and I will be the host for you guys today um, and we can start Dr. Amir is there a way I can see the questions as I go well uh, you're gonna see the questions both of us, we're both going to see the questions as as we go. We're going to yes, come want, up on the screen. Yeah. Yes, it's going to come up on the screen. But as soon as the slide uh, comes up, we're going to start the poll. Okay. All right, just a second. Uh, I'm going to start just right now. Okay. Okay. So, welcome, everyone. Uh, uh, thank you for this opportunity uh, for me to present on vascular trauma. Uh, my name is Ahmed Amir. I'm a vascular and vascular surgeon. I work in Adan Hospital and I am currently the head of unit in Jabal Hospital. Uh, when I asked to give, when I asked to give a talk about vascular uh, trauma, initially I was asked to give a talk on neck trauma, but I, I thought. Uh, I want to give you an overall view of uh, how do we deal with vascular injuries. Uh, I don't want to give you a typical uh, talk about uh, how did all this start, how Alexi Carell uh, fashioned his uh, anastomotic repair or arterial repair in, in the early 1900s, where he won a Nobel Prize. Um, also, I don't want to quote the World War uh, One and Two experience where we learned a lot about vascular trauma. I want to make it as uh, straightforward as possible for you guys. I know some of you are uh, sitting at their uh, general surgery boards. Probably the majority of you are from general surgery. And I want to give you something that will benefit you in your future career and in your exam. So this, is, this will be the whole idea of my lecture to, to transfer the vascular thinking for you and help you uh, decide when you see such cases. I have no disclosures. So this is the overview of, overview of my lecture. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the mechanism of injury and then uh, we're going to talk about how do we evaluate vascular patients obviously check the pulse. Uh, treatment for uh, those patients and then we're going to transfer to the zone specific approach from the neck to the extremities. The mechanism of injury. So we have three mechanisms of injuries we encounter. So penetrated uh, trauma, uh, where you have a stab or a puncture into uh, a blood vessel. This type of injury does not transfer any kinetic or thermal injury to the, to the arterial wall. Where we have the other type, which is the miss missiles or projectiles, where you have combination of stab and thermal and kinetic injury. This usually results in lacerations, thrombosis, dissections, multiple perforations, transections, also embolization. Some small sharpness can, can embolize as well, although it's rare, but it can happen. A blunt trauma is a classic what we deal uh, with in the trauma bay, fall from height, uh, MVC. A blast can combine both uh, blunt penetrating and also thermal injuries. So it's more complex type of, uh, of uh, mechanism. And this is more aggressive and it can lead to rupture, avulsions, contusions, etc. Iatrogenic type, what you see in your, uh, in your hospitals where you have a catheter going into the, center, into the carotid, pulled out two last month, central lines, uh, probes, laparoscopic probes from our gynae colleagues. Just a, just a joke. I don't mean anything by this. Um, so, when we start uh, deal, treating uh, vascular trauma cases, we, do, we follow the ATLS protocol like any other trauma case. So we go A, B, C, D, and E. 
we we uh, check the airway, check the breathing, secure the airway, make sure that uh, we stop any obvious bleeding by applying a tourniquet or manual compression, do our fast, check the pericardial window, uh, do our chest x-rays, put our lines, IV, uh, white bore, IV cannulas, cordis if needed, wrap the pelvis. All those things are part of vascular trauma. Uh, uh, expose the patient, see what is that site of injury, the penetration, what is the, what is the trauma exactly, if there's an entry wound, if there's an extra wound, if there's a gunshot, uh, what type of uh, gun was it. This is what we do on routine basis in the trauma bay. And I'm sure you guys by now, if you're in R3 or to R5, you know all this uh, very well. And so I'm not gonna spend much time talking about how to do an ATLS assessment. Uh, but I want to emphasize on a few things. Uh, history is very important when you deal with vascular trauma, what, when you deal with vascular patients, uh, regardless. You want to know the mechanism. You want to know type of weapon. Was it sharp? Uh, was it a shotgun? What type of weapon was it exactly? It will help you plan your procedure. Was there any bleeding at the scene that stopped when the patient arrived? Uh, timing. Timing is very, very important. You want to know. You want to know uh, if there is a, uh, if there is acute ischemia. How long uh, was the limb ischemic? And you want to see. You want to ask about the neurological status. Uh, if there is any history of drug abuse, it's important to affect your management. You want to know if this patient was on uh, uh, any kind of drug. And then you move out. Uh, you, you move to the physical uh, part of uh, the assessment, physical examination. You want to know the location of the injury. You want to palpate the pulses, check if there is any long bone fractures, assess Doppler signals. Doppler signals are important, and I'll come to this later during my talk. You want to see that you want to check the temperature of the limb, if there's any mottling, pallor, numbness, paresthesia, six Ps. You, you all know the six Ps from med school. Uh, if there is reduced motor function, you want to assess for hard and soft signs, vascular hard and soft signs. Uh, if there is any associated injuries like head trauma, musculoskeletal, GI, uh, with origin IG urinary, urinary. So you, you have to know the overall picture. It will affect your management as well. Know your anatomy. When you present a case, you have to know where is the wound exactly. If it's in the mid-thigh, anteriorly, posteriorly, if it's, in the, it's on the dorsum of the foot, plantar aspect. So just try to uh, use anatomy, surface anatomy, when, when you describe uh, an injury. So uh, the hard and soft signs, uh, vascular hard and soft signs. There are hard and soft signs also for uh, aerodigestive uh, injuries, but we're going to talk today, concentrate on hard and soft, vascular hard and soft signs. Why do we need to differentiate between soft signs and hard signs? So hard signs means you need to go to the OT right away. You, you have to go to the OR right away. Uh, and those signs are active bleeding, pulsatile bleeding, hematoma expanding. Uh, if you have a ischemic limb, six Ps, we said that. If you had if you have end organ ischemia, and if you have a palpable thrill or audible brewery. Brewery is difficult to listen to in the trauma bay, let's be honest. Uh, a palpable thrill, I, I personally don't think we need to jump to the OR of the patient's table if we have a palpable thrill. We can investigate that more with, an, with some sort of imaging to plan our intervention. But this is what's mentioned in the textbooks usually. And uh, you should know when you have those signs that most likely you're dealing with vascular trauma. And if you have expanding or hematoma or activity, you need to go to the all right away. Soft signs mean you have time to investigate. So if you have reduced pulses, if you have bleeding at the scene that stopped, stopped from the wound, if you have neurological deficit, if you have a fracture, that it's in close proximity to a vessel like a femoral artery, for example, if you have a tibial fracture or a femur fracture. Abnormal ABI as well as a soft sign, but I, I can't remember when was the last time I did an ABI for a trauma patient, to be honest. We, it's not very convenient, uh, but it's out there. And if you have abnormal waveforms, if you have reduced a biphasic, monophasic waveforms, this is a soft sign. 
And a waveforms, if they're present, they're a soft sign, but if they're absent, it's very, very concerning. If, there are, if they are present, then you can, you might have some time to save this limb and you have time to investigate. But if they're absent, then you're probably dealing with a type 2B ischemia that you need to uh, rush to the OR right away. What type of investigations do we do uh, for uh, vascular trauma? We start with a simple x-rays, uh, check for fractures, Doppler, handheld Doppler, those are available in the trauma bay. Duplex is not very convenient. We don't do that. Uh, duplex is convenient for follow-up. If you want to follow up a patient after, if you want to, if you have a small intimal flap in an artery or a small pseudoaneurysm, you want to follow up, then duplex is a good option. Uh, Amarangio is not convenient in the context of trauma. Uh, CT angio is a gold standard in my eyes. Uh, CT angio is fast. You can have it any time of the day. Uh, takes about 10 minutes. You can reconstruct it. You can plan your intervention from it. You can measure, decide what type of stent you want to use. Uh, you can uh, put a strat strategy for your intervention based on CT angio. So CT angio is my favorite in the context of trauma. Conventional angiography, it's helpful if you have a hybrid room. Uh, we do have a hybrid room uh, and uh, Javers also has uh, uh, under construction or future hybrid room coming, hopefully. Uh, so it's very, very helpful in the context of trauma. You can do a lot of uh, interesting things with it. You can embolize, you can stent, you can do X-fix uh, in one setting so you don't have to move the patient around. So it's very, very useful. Uh, always try to image if you can. If you have time, try to image the patient. It will help you operate your intervention. And vascular surgery is about planning. If you plan it right, the rest uh, is, is, uh, is a bread and butter, I would say. But you have to plan the intervention. If you don't plan it right, then you're going to struggle in the operating room. Also, uh, imaging is useful as you might encounter some occult injury that you, or, small, uh, or that you can conserve on. So uh, it, it might change your approach from intervention to conservative treatment. Treatment options. In general, we have we can conserve, conserve on a, a vascular injury. It try start anti uh, anticoagulation or antiplatelets. You can uh, do endovascular intervention where you use a stent, metallic stent or a, a stent graft. A stent graft is a, is a metallic stent with a with a layer of uh, uh, polyester, so it's a covered stent. And but you can embolize uh, the hypogastrics, for example. And we can do thrombectomy, uh, uh, whether uh, using an angiojet or a, a penumbra device where you can suck out the thrombus, or you can do uh, 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 over-the-wire Fogarty as well uh, and direct your Fogarty catheter to go into the, the vessel you need. So it's very helpful. In open repair, it's, uh, it's the usual classic vascular surgery, primary repair, patch, vein, bovine patch, a bypass using a vein or prosthetic or anatomical or external anatomical bypass. In trauma, try to use vein, if you can, autogenous tissue to avoid any infection because when infection happens, it's a very, very difficult to treat. So if you can use a vein, then go ahead and use a vein. In Kuwait, we have a lot of diabetics and the infection rate is higher than other areas of the world. So I would use uh, a vein uh, if I can. If the patient is hemodynamically unstable and you need to get out fast, if, you, if the patient is acidotic, if the patient is hypothermic uh, and, uh, and oozing from everywhere, don't waste time repairing an injury. Just shunt the patient, save his life, get him to ICU, pack him, uh, and get him ready to fight another day, come back and re repair your artery or vein. Uh, always remember to do four compartment fasciotomy. We're gonna talk about this in our lecture. And uh, also, uh, if you need, you can do X-Fix hybrid. We're gonna talk about that as well. You can do balloon tamponade plus surgical repair, and you can, or you can uh, 
to a hybrid approach where you can stent and uh, do a bypass. So uh, our first MCQ of the day, a 70-year-old male admitted for elective uh, AAA repair in the preparation for surgery, open AAA repair. Anesthesia placed a seven French central line in the neck. And they encountered pulsatile blood flow with uh, pulsatile waveforms. What's the best management? A, pull out the catheter, apply manual pressure for 15 minutes. If no bleeding or hematoma, proceed with the case. Pull out the catheter, apply pressure, and cancel the case. C, leave the catheter in, wake up the patient, assess the neurological status, plan the next step. D, explore the carotid artery, remove the catheter and repair the hole, proceed with the case. Okay, so uh, the correct answer is C. You leave the catheter in, this is the safest answer. Wake up the patient, assess the neurological status and plan next step. I, th I, I uh, saw a lot of you guys voted for A. And let me explain to you why A is not the correct answer. If you have a line in the neck, if you have a line in the neck, you can have the entry uh, area at zone two, but you can have you, your, the skin entry uh, area at zone two, but you can traverse zone two into zone one or into the chest. And I've seen two cases last month like that. So if I pull the, if I pull the catheter and apply pressure up here, I'm definitely gonna bleed in the chest. So it's, it's very useful, it's very helpful to plan to see where the puncture exactly is. You might have a deep puncture. So A is definitely not the right answer. And I hope you don't do this in the future. Don't pull out the catheter. You need to image this patient to know exactly where the catheter is. So wake the patient up. You need to assess the neurological status. You never know what's happening. You might embolize to the brain and have a stroke. So you need to assess the neurological status, consent, and come back uh, and do the exposure, okay? So you might end up doing an endovascular intervention in the chest where uh, avoid a cut down, or to, to avoid a cut down. So you have to know where exactly you're going. So C is the correct answer. Another question, 25-year-old male, a gunshot wound to the left neck, hemodynamically stable, in the OR, you encounter transection of the ICA with two centimeter defect. What's the best management? A, ligation. B, primary repair. C, repair with PTFE. D, repair with saphenous vein graft. So, uh, I see a debate between primary repair and repair with saphenous vein. Both answers, I think, can work. If you can mobilize, if you don't have tension on your repair and if, the, if there's redundancy in the, in the uh, ICA, you can, if you can attach the ICA together, you can do primary repair. But uh, if, if you don't have enough length, then the best answer is repair with saphenous vein. So always remember to prepare the thigh. If you go to neck trauma, if you go to chest trauma, Always remember to prepare the thigh just in case you need a segment of vein, okay? Uh, look at this uh, uh, article from our colleagues in Hotel du Montreal, uh, our dear friend, uh, David Bracco. They came up with a nice case series interview uh, and they proposed an algorithm to treat uh, uh, central lines in the, in the vessels, in the arteries. Uh, so the central venous catheter insertion into the uh, neck vessels, basically. Just, just look it up. It's a, it's a good article to review. So uh, neck, neck zones, uh, you have, we have three zones. I'm sure you're all familiar with the zones. Uh, zone one, from the thoracic inlet to the cricoid cartilage. Zone two, from the cricoid cartilage to the angle of the mandible. Zone three is from uh, the angle of the mandible to the face of skull. And I think, personally, uh, the zone three is the most difficult to access. If you have a high ICA, you need to subluxate the mandible and uh, 
transect the posterior belly over the gastric to get there. It takes time. You might need uh, an ENT surgeon with you uh, to do that. So it's, uh, it's difficult in the context of trauma. Uh, zone two is the easiest to explore. Zone one is technically not difficult to explore, but small bit. So you might end up doing a sternotomy, supraclavicular incision, a trapdoor incision. So try to avoid exploring zone one and zone two if you can and do it endo. Uh, planet right first, zone two, uh, you can explore. So zone one, proximal control is obtained in the chest. Uh, zone three, distal control is difficult to obtain, as I said. Uh, zone two uh, is the most commonly injured and easy, uh, easiest to access. Uh, remember always, uh, injury can traverse uh, different zones in the neck. So be aware of that. Uh, don't jump into conclusions and try to explore and you find yourself into the chest. So if you have time to plan it, plan it, plan it right first. Uh, I'm not a fan of uh, exploring any uh, platysmal penetration uh, wound in the neck. No, we do selective exploration. Uh, if, there is no, if there are no hard signs of uh, vascular or tracheobranchial injury, uh, there is a high rate of false uh, negative, so uh, false positive, I mean. So we do selective exploration. Uh, if there is a carotid dissection uh, and uh, the neurological status of the patient is not worsening, then uh, we do uh, antiplatelet therapy or anticoagulation. So there is no randomized control trial to combine both to, to tell us which approach is better. But if you have a trauma patient with multi multiple injuries, I recommend antiplatelet therapy, uh, avoid anticoagulation. Uh, uh, it will reduce your risk of bleeding. If the patient has evolving, worsening neurological symptoms, then you have to treat this dissection. Uh, small, small carotid pseudoaneurysms you can follow. Uh, large uh, uh, pseudoaneurysms you should treat. They have high stroke uh, rate and mortality rate. Uh, so uh, the best method of investigation, again, is a CT angio. Uh, always remember to image the circle of Willis. Why we need to image the circle of Willis? And uh, why should we care about it? It's in the brain. You have to know. You have to know if there is anything going on in the circle of Willis. You want to know if it's complete. You want to know if the vertebrals are patent. If, uh, if you have a left dominant vertebral, right dominant vertebral, if you have an aberrant vertebral going into the pica, you have to know that. But uh, especially in endovascular surgery, if you want to intervene and cover the subclavian, you want to know if the left vertebral is the dominant one and where is it going exactly. So uh, image the circle of fullness if you decide to image the neck. Uh, zone one and zone two are difficult to assess clinically. Uh, so if you have high suspicion of injury, just image the patient. Uh, and remember again, do selective zone two exposure. If you don't, if you don't have heart science, it's worth investigating the patient doing a CT angio, bron uh, bronchoscopy, gastroscopy, rule out any tracheoesophageal injury. In, in terms of management, uh, we try to reserve endovascular intervention to zone one and three. Uh, open intervention is uh, prefer preferable for zone two to uh, check for. Uh, uh, combined uh, injuries and other structures. Always prepare the thighs if you need a segment of vein. Remember the first rule of vascular surgery, proximal and distal control. Uh, how to access the different zones? So one might ask, how, how can I access zone one? So a lot of residents have those questions in mind because they haven't seen it. So zone one, you can access uh, the arteries by a sternotomy. You can do, if you want to access the innominate or the left, deep left carotid, you can do a sternotomy. Uh, you can do a supraclavicular incision. Uh, if you want to access the subclavian, you can do a high anterior lateral thoracotomy, trapdoor, or posterior lateral thoracotomy. So, as I said, it's morbid. If you want to do it, you're going to take time. If you haven't done it before, I don't recommend you do it. You need someone with you. But if you can avoid this and do endovascular intervention, it's best. Zone three, uh, if you cannot control the artery, then try to put a Fogarty balloon in the artery and inflate the Fogarty balloon for distal control. Uh, 
if you cannot then put a wire in the uh, ICA and put a self-expandable coverage stent via band and suture the via band to the common carotid artery. This is one way of doing it. Uh, if you can't and the patient is dying and you have uh, evidence of uh, massive uh, uh, neurological uh, 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 trauma uh, and you have no other option, you can ligate the ICA. But I would not do that unless I have no other option and the patient is dying from me because this is associated with a high mortality rate. So try to avoid this. Uh, an easy way to do in the hybrid operating room, if you, let's say you cannot control the bleeding in the chest and you're struggling to do that, just put a balloon from the femoral artery into the, into the uh, arch vessels. You can access, the, if you have a hybrid room, you can access the femoral artery, put a sheath in the femoral artery, a wire, cannulate the carotid or the inominate or the subclavian and inflate the balloon to get a proximal control. It takes like uh, five minutes to do that, maybe less. Uh, if, uh, for the ICA, you need a vein conduit. It's a similar size. Uh, uh, so the, the, the great saphenous vein is the best option for ICA repair. The common carotid artery, uh, Dacron or PTFE, uh, is, uh, is recommended because of the size uh, match. Some people advocate using the SFA, but this will complicate your surgery because you have to repair the SFA in the leg. If you have a, an esophageal injury, try to drain this away from your vascular repair and put the muscle flap. Those are general principles and you have to keep this in mind. And again, uh, this slide might be useful for you guys. You ask me a lot, uh, how do you access the inominate, the rhizoclavian, median sternotomy? If you want to access the rhizoclavian, uh, above the clavicle, you can do a supraclavicular incision as well. The left subclavian is difficult to access from a sternotomy, so you do a thoracotomy, anterior lateral, high or, or a posterior lateral thoracotomy. If you want to access the mid-segment of the, of the subclavian, you do a supraclavicular incision. Uh, zone one, uh, we talked about that. Uh, balloon occlusion by radial or brachial arteries. If you have a subclavian injury, let's say, or not, uh, or a uh, if you want to get proximal control in the subclavian, you can do a, a brachial artery approach where you put a wire from the brachial artery, regular artery, and inflate a balloon in the subclavian. This will tamponade your bleeding. It will give you, will give you time to uh, explore the artery. If you want to do the, if you don't want to do that, you can just put a covered stent. If you, if it's deep in the chest, you can put a covered stent and cover the defect. So you, we have a lot of tools, a lot of options to treat uh, the same problem. And every case is a different is a different scenario. Um, the subclavian artery, if if you're if you're losing it and you cannot fix it, and the patient is coagulopathic and you want to get out fast, you can ligate the subclavian artery. It uh, it, it rarely causes upper extremity ischemia. We cover it like ninety percent of the time when we do trauma TVAR, and we have no landing zone. Never had an issue. But always remember to check the left vertebral and the circular fullest if you want to do that. MCQ question. A 30-year-old male, MVC, uh, GCS 13 over 15, heart rate 100, BP 170, left-sided hemothorax, uh, rib fractures, 57 on the left side, negative fast, has a fractured right femur, pan-CT showed aortic pseudoaneurysm at the isthmus. Uh, this injury is considered grade one, two, three, or four. This is a straightforward. You should get that. Okay. So it's a grade three uh, aortic injury. So pseudoaneurysm is a grade three aortic injury. Uh, grade one is an intimal tear. Grade two is intramural excuse me, hematoma. Grade three is a pseudoaneurysm, grade four is, is rupture. Another question. Uh, okay. So uh, before you put the poll up, I would like to explain a few things in this question. 21-year-old 21, 21 male presented with, after a high-speed MVC, a GCS 16 over 15 intubated CTA showed inominate artery pseudoaneurysm at the origin, okay? Descending aortic pseudoaneurysm, 
what's the best management option? This is a, one of our patients that we did recently. Uh, a median sternotomy, aortic artery branching followed by, by T-VAR, innominate artery stenting followed by T-VAR, median sternotomy, innominate artery repair followed by T-VAR, T-VAR followed by median sternotomy and innominate artery repair. Just to emphasize, you have an injury at the origin of the innominate artery, uh, and you have a descending aortic pseudoaneurysm, and there is good landing zone between the pseudoaneurysm and the left subclavian, as you can see in the image. You can go ahead and put the pull-up. Okay, so uh, I think the correct answer here is T-VAR. It takes like uh, 20 minutes to do. You have a good landing zone followed by a sternotomy uh, to repair the innominate artery. Uh, this is another image of the, after the T-VAR, we sealed the, we sealed the, the descending aorta and we have a big uh, pseudoaneurysm at the origin of the innominate. Uh, our main concern was uh, this could be uh, at the, junction between the innominate and the aortic arch, and a stent might not be a good idea to, to seal the zone. So uh, we decided to uh, do it combined uh, with, the, with cardiac surgery. We did the T-VAR, it took us about 20 minutes to finish, maybe less, uh, and then the, they went ahead and did the stenotomy and they repaired uh, innominate artery. The patient survived, I saw him in the clinic a few months ago. So consider when you have a, a thoracic aortic trauma, uh, control your blood pressure systolic uh, at 100 to 120. Start uh, beta blocker infusions and nitroprusside. Uh, timing of the repair is very, very important. You don't jump into conclusions and decide to repair the aorta right away. You might have other uh, more life-threatening injuries need to be fixed, especially if the, patient, if the aortic injury is stable. If you have a grade two, you can wait. If you have a grade three and four, and you have a, uh, I mean, grade four, you have to intervene right away. There's no, uh, no, no other option. But if you have a grade three, a small pseudoaneurysm, you can wait, uh, control the blood pressure to reduce your risk of rupture and deal with other uh, life-threatening injuries first and then do the aorta. So you, ha you have to plan it right and you have to plan the timing right. Uh, if you have combined uh, brain and aortic injury, then you have to do the aorta first because for brain injuries, you, you need the, a high blood pressure uh, to increase your brain perfusion. So we need to do the aorta first. Uh, always check the cere cerebral circulation. We mentioned that before. Use a short stent. We use a, our stent, the, the stent we have on shelf is about uh, 10 centimeter long. I think there are 60 centimeter long stents as well now, 60 millimeters, sorry. So use a short stent to reduce your, your risk of spinal paraplegia. And if you wanna cover the left subclavian, make sure you have, uh, you, you check your left vertebral artery, uh, make sure it's not, uh, you, the right vertebral artery is patent and the circular fullest is patent. Uh, if you have a dominant left vertebral or aberrant left vertebral, consider doing a, a, a carotid subclavian bypass before TVAR. Uh, this is this is one of my favorite uh, pictures. Actually, it's a thoracoabdominal repair. Uh, it's very morbid. We don't we don't do it for uh, a trauma setting. Only if the patient is is in shock, and we cannot get him to the CT scanner. And I encountered this once in uh, since I came back to Kuwait. I had a 21 year old with uh, two liters of uh, blood coming from the chest tube. Uh, with unrecordable blood pressure, we had to rush him to the OR right away. We were able to clamp uh, the descending aorta. There was about 80% uh, percent, uh, defect in the descending aorta, but we couldn't bring him back. Uh, this uh, operation is morbid. If you don't have a landing zone, if your patient is not crashing on you, then don't, uh, then this is your option, but your, your mortality rate is high. So the T-VAR is the standard of care, although there's no randomized control trial, but it's a standard, there are a lot of evidence in the literature to support it. this is the standard of care to treat this type of injury. If you have no landing zone, you can do a subclavian laser fenestration or cover the subclavian or do a carotid subclavian bypass and then do a T-VAR or external anatomical bypass or debranching. 
Uh, open thoracoabdominal repair is complex. You need to do a left heart bypass, like in this picture. There is a bypass from the inferior pulmonary vein to the descending aorta to perfuse the, the distal aorta. Uh, if you cannot do that, you can do a partial uh, cardiopulmonary bypass or complete cardiopulmonary bypass if you cannot get a clamp on the aorta. As I said, it's complex. You need to anticoagulate the patient. If you're doing complete cardiopulmonary bypass, you're aiming for ACT above 400, you're gonna bleed, definitely, if you have another injuries. So try to avoid that. ED thoracotomy, uh, when I was a resident, well, was my, one of my favorite uh, topics because we, you know, we used to, we, we get to open the chest. Uh, now, as, uh, as I've seen uh, more cases, uh, uh, I think saving ED thoracotomy to those guys who come in, come in with penetrating thoracic trauma with signs of life, uh, with or without a pulse at the trauma pay. Those patients who benefit most from ED thoracotomy, if they lose their vitals in the trauma bay or they have signs of life like PEA or uh, reflexes, pupillary reflexes, corneal reflexes, or GCS more than three, yes, go ahead and do the, thorac uh, the ED thoracotomy. Those patients will benefit the most. If you have a patient with penetrating thoracic trauma, lost vitals on the way to the hospital, yes, this patient deserves to be, uh, to have his chance and uh, do the ED thoracotomy. You can do it also for, uh, to resuscitate a patient with extra thoracic bleed, with signs of life losing vitals in the trauma bay. Yes, you can do it for those patients, but never do it for blunt trauma with no signs of life. Don't do it. A blunt trauma in general with no signs of life, poor outcome. If they lose their vitals, blunt trauma, losing vitals in the trauma bay, if you want to do resuscitative thoracotomy, it's also, I mean, the outcome is not great. So generally speaking, the strongest recommendation is to do it for penetrating thoracic trauma. Nowadays, our colleagues in trauma surgery are trying to replace uh, opening the chest uh, for blunt trauma uh, with the, the Reboa balloon. I haven't used the Reboa balloon in the trauma setting myself, but I do it for uh, ruptured AAAs in the, in the cath lab. So we have experience on it. We can control bleeding with balloons, but in the context of uh, uh, the trauma, trauma. Then I haven't used it. Uh, it's good to look at the Eastern Association guidelines, East guidelines. If you want to know more about uh, thoracotomy, blunt aortic trauma, they have nice summary and recommendations. Uh, chest exposures. You guys ask a lot about that. If you want to get the left carotid, left subclavian, descending aorta, pulmonary hilum, and the heart, posterior lateral thoracotomy is the way to go. If you want to get the heart, the ascending aorta, the arch, you know, minute arch origin uh, and branches, and the left carotid as well, you can get it from a median sternotomy. I mean, there are a lot of exam questions on what's the favorite approach. So memorize that, it might help you answer your exam questions. Uh, the anterior lateral thoracotomy, do it through the uh, fourth intercostal space. We do it in ER to control the bleed or resuscitate the patient. Other decisions like clamshell, trapdoor, supraclavicular, or clavicular resection, rarely we do them, but uh, know them just in case you need to do them uh, in your practice. This is a clamshell. It's a very morbid incision, uh, uh, but a great exposure. MCQ, uh, at the completion of a sleeve gastrectomy, your assistant noticed a central retroperitoneal hematoma approximately 12 centimeter in size. The hematoma is stable, not expanding, and the patient is hemodynamically stable. What is the best management? Close the abdomen, monitor the patient in recovery. Close the abdomen, go to the CT scan to rule out vascular injury. Open the retroperitoneal uh, peritoneum laparoscopically and look for the bleeding site. On table and geography, covered stent if evidence of bleeding, E laparotomy and exploration. This is interesting.
Okay, so never close the abdomen. This is something you don't need to do. You have a central hematoma, zone one hematoma. You had probes put in. So you have to explore this hematoma. Do a laparotomy, explore this hematoma. It's a 12 centimeter. You, had, you, you put a probe in, you never know what you hit. So if you explore the hematoma, make sure uh, you don't have arterial uh, injury. So laparotomy and exploration is the correct answer. The abdomen is divided into three zones, zone one, zone two, and zone three. There is another zone that you need to know about, but don't ever go there, it's zone four, where the liver is. So forget about the, this zone, don't touch it, don't play with it if you can, just pack it and get out. So zone four is very simple. One and two and three we're gonna talk about in this lecture. So penetrating retroperitoneal hematomas, you explore them all, except zone four. They do well with compression. Blunt trauma to zone one, you explore. Zone two, selective exploration. If there's expansion, pulsatile uh, hematoma and organ uh, ischemia in the context of blunt trauma, you explore. Zone three, you pack it in the context of blunt trauma, especially if you have evidence of uh, pelvis uh, fractures. If you open zone three in the context of pelvic fractures, you're gonna bleed a lot. So pack it and take the patient to the to angio. Uh, now there is a debate in the vascular between vascular surgeons if you don't feel a pulse in the in the uh, retroperitoneum in zone three. Uh, do you open it right away or uh, just uh, try to do a uh, extra anatomical bypass? Now. Uh, some textbooks recommend exploring uh, the retroperitoneum and trying to uh, repair the vessel. Well, it depends on the scenario. If you have significant retroperitoneal bleeding and you cannot feel the pulse and, or there is a pulseless limb, don't dive into the retroperitoneum. Just do an extra bypass and get out and pack the, pack the retroperitoneum. So I will leave this. Uh, every surgeon has his own way of doing this. And my preference is to stay away from zone three. Uh, if you have uh, an uh, unexplored hematoma, get a CT scan to make sure that you're not missing anything. If you have a hybrid room, it's heaven. You can do embolization, you can do stent crafts, you can do a balloon aortic tamponade, proximal control, you can do X fix, you can do everything. So this is what we should aim for. So this is the way to go. Uh, in, in terms of control and exposure, uh, you, in general surgery, you have to know how to control or slow down a bleeding. It, first thing you need to do is put manual pressure on the supraciliac aorta uh, <clears throat> or the inferior aorta. You have to know how to expose the supraciliac aorta. We'll, we'll, we'll come to this now. And the inferior aorta as well. If you're stuck, just put a balloon in the aorta and inflate it. Uh, if you cannot, uh, for some reason, there's significant hematoma in the abdomen and you cannot see and you need to get control, open the chest. Just do an anterior lateral thoracotomy and clamp the aorta in the chest. We don't recommend that. It only increases your stress, uh, the patient's stress, but this is an option. You have to know Matox maneuver and catalabrash maneuver as well. We're going to talk about this in the next slides. Uh, Doctor, sorry to interrupt you, but we have one question with regards to the previous uh, slide about the retroperitoneal hematoma. Um, someone is asking, uh, please, why do you need to explore the patient uh, if he's hemodynamically stable? Uh, it's a it's zone one. It's te technically it's a zone one. Zone one trauma. You don't you don't know how did you get this hematoma in zone one? Is it blunt or is it penetrating? Definitely penetrating because you put a probes in. So penetrating trauma, blunt trauma, zone one, if you encounter it in the operating room, you have to explore it to make sure you're not missing any uh, significant bleed. Because zone one, you have the cava and you have the aorta. So even if the patient hemodynamics is stable, I will explore the zone one hematoma. So in this, in this picture, in this picture,
uh, you see uh, Maddox maneuver. So Maddox maneuver, you mobilize the, the left colon, the spleen, the left kidney medially. And this will give you, will give you excellent, excellent exposure to the supra celiac aorta, uh, celiac SMA and left renal branches and the aorta down to the bifurcation and the left external iliac. So if you want to do expose the aorta, if you have central hematoma, you want to uh, zone one supramusicolic hematoma, you can expose the aorta this way. You mobilize, uh, the, you do the Mattox maneuver to get the aorta. If you want to see the, the, the cava, if you have a zone one hematoma and you want to see the cava, you have to move to the cattle brush maneuver, where you mobilize the right colon, take down the hepatic flexure, and cocalize the duodenum to get you to zone one cava, uh, the cava region. This maneuver will also explore the infrarenal aorta for you and the right uh, aliac. So uh, those maneuvers are must. If you want to deal with trauma, you need to know those maneuvers very well. Now, how to control the supraceliac uh, aorta? So uh, first thing you need to do is to mobilize the left lobe of the liver, get it out of the way, and then mobilize the esophagus to the, to the left, open the lesser sac, get to the aorta, divide the, the diaphragmatic crura overlying the aorta, and then put your clamp on. Uh, there, is, there is about a, a centimeter of thick tissue over the aorta. Uh, so you need to, uh, blunt dissection is not helpful in this context. You need to divide the fibers and the peritoneum to get to the aorta. So don't do a lot of blunt dissection in this region. Now, uh, the cent central hematomas, central hematomas, zone one hematomas are divided into two areas, supramusicolic and inframusicolic, based on the, uh, on the mesocolon, the transverse mesocolon. So if you have an inframusicolic, for me as a vascular surgeon, I'm comfortable up, uh, exposing the, the aorta inframm, uh, uh, um, below the, the, the colon uh, mesentery by just dividing the peritoneum overlying the aorta. Uh, you can see, you can mo mobilize the duodenum to the patient's right, find the uh, renal vein, and then uh, you can dissect the aorta free uh, below the renal vein. So the bowel on the right, uh, the musicolon uh, superiorly, and then you open the peritoneum overlying the aorta. So this is how to access inframusicolic zone one. If you want to access supramusicolic zone one, then you have to do the matrix maneuver. Now, if you if you're stuck and you cannot do any, you cannot mobilize and and you want uh, you want uh, to temporize thing till you get help, then you can get a, a balloon into the aorta or the femoral artery and just inflate this balloon uh, in the infrarenal segment till you get help from a vascular surgeon to control things. So principles of repair like any, uh, uh, any site, patch, primary repair, bypass, ligation, ligation and shunt. If you're hemodynamically unstable, you want to get out, shunt the patient back and then get out. Okay, ligation uh, is not recommended uh, for certain vessels, but uh, if, you, if you're uh, exsanguinating and you're losing the patient, then you can ligate some vessels, you can ligate the hepatic, uh, you can ligate uh, uh, the celiac artery, uh, even the infra, uh, uh, infrarenal cava, you can ligate that, but it's not recommended, you're gonna end up with a lot of edema. So I don't recommend ligation unless you're, you have no other option and you're losing the patient, uh, uh, then, then probably it's justified, but try to avoid doing that. So shunt, put a 10 French shunt into the external iliac artery, for example, uh, and so secure it with the silk ties and uh, uh, pack the patient, take him to ICU warming, uh, resuscitation, uh, and then bring him back for a defensive repair. So I've secured. What's the most what is the most common compartment affected by compartment syndrome? Uh, anterior, lateral, deep posterior, superficial posterior.
Dr. Ahmed, we have another question. Sure. Do you want to answer it now or do you want to wait towards the end? No, no, I can answer it now. I'm, uh, I think I'm, I have like three or four slides left. Almost no done. problem. Okay, so someone's ask, asking how long will it take to do this mobilization as Matox maneuver? Uh, two minutes, maybe. It's very easy to do Matox. You just need to get in the right plane. It's not, I mean, you, if you want to mobilize the left colon, the, the spleen, and the kidney, you just get into the right plane, into a, it's a bloodless plane. So uh, it's a bloodless plane. Uh, you can do a blood dissection by hand. It's not very difficult. It doesn't take uh, a lot of time to do that. So the, the right answer is anterior, guys. Uh, the most common compartment affected by compartment syndrome is the anterior leg compartment. Okay, I should have mentioned I'm talking about the leg. Yeah, it's the anterior compartment. And uh, the anterior compartment contains a deep peroneal uh, nerve. Uh, that's why they end up with the foot drop if you don't treat them. So the extremities, our last uh, 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 part of, the, of our lecture today. It's the most common vascular injury we encounter uh, in Kuwait. Uh, soft signs and hard signs are important. We talked about that already. So hard signs, no pulse, throat, Expanding hematoma, pulse type bleeding. Soft signs if you have reduced or diminished pulses. Uh, history of significant hemorrhage, neurological deficit, or uh, your injury uh, is proximal to a major vessel. Soft sign, remember image if you can. Hard sign, you have to go to the operating room. So the goal when you manage extremities is to save lives and reestablish the circulation at the, at the smallest cost on the patient. Uh, if you have non-flow non limiting intimal flap on your image or your CT or asymptomatic AV fistula, you can just observe that. You don't need to intervene on this. If you have a large pseudoaneurysm, you have to intervene on this. Some recommend also, if you have a small pseudoaneurysm, you can follow, but, uh, it's difficult to follow patients here in, uh, in Kuwait. Sometimes they don't show up for follow-up. So uh, I, I explain to the patients and I, I prefer personally to repair any pseudoaneurysm I encounter for this particular reason. So the principles we talked about, proximal and distal control, primary repair, uh, patch, bypass, take a vein, but from the contralateral le uh, leg, because you never know what happened to the vein in this leg. So you don't, you, you want to make sure you take a vein from the not non-affected leg. A uh, two-hour table is very simple. You shunt. Uh, if you have, uh, uh, if the leg is too unstable and you have prolonged ischemia time and you have significant fractures, shunt the patient, let the orthopedic guy stabilize the leg with X-Fix and then you do your, uh, your bypass. If the leg is stable, and uh, you have time, you can let the other guys work first, and then you can do your bypass after. So uh, it's a multidisciplinary approach for uh, uh, orthovascular injuries. Make sure to debride all the non-viable tissues. If you do a bypass or a patch or whatever you do, cover with a viable muscle flap to protect your bypass. And remember to do your fasciotomies at the end of the surgery to avoid compartment syndrome. If you have prolonged ischemia time or significant trauma, uh, just remember to do your fasciotomies. Uh, those are two videos I put on just to show you that we have tools we can play with, we can avoid major surgery with those tools. This is a ruptured external iliac. It's one of my cases. And this is after. We put covered stents and uh, the, uh, uh, the bleeding stopped. So sometimes you can, if you can, just avoid, especially in, if you have a high risk patient that's bleeding and you want to get out fast, you can do a hybrid approach. You can pack, you can stent, you can do a lot of things nowadays. It's not a one way street. You have different tools you can uh, apply. Okay. This is the beauty of 
uh, vascular surgery nowadays. You have like four or five options to treat one problem and you choose the best option for the patient and for you. So uh, compartment syndrome, do four compartment fasciotomy, two incisions, one on the lateral aspect, one on the medial aspect. You, you, un, you open the fascia on the anterior and lateral compartments and you have to uh, <clears throat> take down the gastrocnemius and the soleus to get to the deep posterior compartment. So know how to perform fasciotomy. It might come up in your exam. If you have swelling, paresthesia, numbness, pain, and passive flexion, diminished pulses or absent pulses, you're probably having compartment syndrome and you need to do a fasciotomy. Uh, know also the upper limb fasciotomy, uh, how to do it. Uh, you won't have a plastic surgeon available to do it for you sometimes. So if you need to do a upper limb fasciotomy, it's very simple. Uh, two incisions on the volar and the dorsal aspect it doesn't take time. Uh, just learn how to do that. The mangled extremity. We face this a lot in Kuwait. We have a lot of MVCs. Uh, uh, it may, so the injuries we see uh, are on the extreme side. side. Uh, the, and salva salvaging those limbs are, are, are questionable, is questionable. So we face difficulties sometimes salvaging those limbs. We have high energy trauma cases. We have different components, vascular injury, nerve injury, soft tissue loss, massive soft tissue loss, muscle and skin. And we have sometimes uh, bone loss and uh, significant fractures, shattered limbs. And uh, it's not usually a clear cut scenario. You have a, 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 a limb that's mush and you need to try to salvage that. It's not always possible. You can follow whatever score you want. You can follow the mangled extremity score, severity score, you can check this up. Uh, a score of seven or higher correlates well with the primary amputation. But none of those scores is, uh, are accurate to uh, estimate uh, post-op function. So uh, it comes at the end of the day to the amount of tissue loss, bone loss and uh, tissue destruction to decide whether to uh, salvage a limb or uh, amputate. You cannot take this decision alone. It's a multidisciplinary decision. So you have to call a vascular surgeon, orthopedics, plastics, and neurosurgery to decide if this limb can be salvageable. I can connect a vessel, but if I have no coverage, what's the point of doing that, right? So uh, the, the orthopedic will say, I can put the bones back to get together. But if you have no nerves, the nerves are gone and the vessels are gone and, and the patient is is dying, so what's the point? So it's a multidisciplinary decision. Uh, it's not a one-man show, so always remember this. If you have this kind of injury, just get, get help and ask for the appropriate people to help you. Okay, the goal always remember to save life and give the patient a functional limp. There's no point of uh, salvaging an unfunctional limp. Thank you very much. I think I am on time, one hour. Uh, time for questions if you have any questions i tried my best to cover uh, to give you an overview of the future what we can do is to talk specifically about the neck abdomen chest and extremities in more details but this is an overview of how do we deal with uh, vascular injuries any questions uh, yes we have Two questions, three questions in the chat panel. So, uh, Dr. Rashid is asking, in case of aortofemoral and femoral popliteal arteriovenous bypass, do you contrast proximal anastomosis of the vein with the graft or with the femoral artery? Or again, again. Um, he says, in case of aortofemoral and femoral popliteal arteriovenous bypass, do you, con do you construct the proximal anastomosis of the vein with the graft or with femoral artery? Construct. I don't understand the question really. I mean, uh, if you mean uh, you want to do, a, so if, do you want to do an aorto bifem bypass or do a fem pop bypass? Um, so I'll, we'll wait, maybe he will answer our question in the chat panel. Uh, there is another question by Dr. Fad Saleh, Alamadik Rashid Um It says, in the contrast 
concept of in the context of an expiratory lap expiratory laparotomy with a zone one vascular injury and significant bleeding if you decide to gain temporary control using an endovascular balloon do you gain vascular access from the groins or cannulate the aliacs which are visible and accessible in your laparotomy whatever you want you can do both you can get the groin percutaneously and you can if you have if your the aliac is in front of you you can access the aliac so whatever you're comfortable with as long as you get a balloon into the aorta if you're not comfortable exposing aliacs, just puncture the femoral artery. Uh, it's easy, you can feel a pulse, and uh, just put a, a pink needle in it, put a wire, and then put your balloon up. Uh, you can use a, a coda balloon or a reliant balloon to tamponade. Uh, so whatever you can get, really. If you can get the infrarenal aorta as well itself, if you can get the aorta, you can puncture the aorta directly and put your balloon to temporize things until your help arrives. Um, all right, Victor Oud is asking, would the femoral puncture keep your OR field clear? Uh, we always, so in we, when we uh, operate on vascular trauma, we always have the thigh prepped. So if we can get your femoral access very easy and it's going to be sterile. Uh, I drape from the, I usually drape, and if I have a patient, a trauma patient, I drape from the neck down. And then I, and then I, I expose the area I want to. So I'm ready prepped in general from the thigh all the way to the neck. So if I have, if I want to get the femoral artery at the thigh, it's ready, it's prepped. Uh, I just need to remove the drape and expose it. Um, we have another question. Uh, can we take a venous graft from the short saphenous vein? Yes, of course you can. You can. It's an interesting question. Uh, sorry, from the short. short so short saphenous vein uh, is behind the knee. So you can take a venous graft from the short saphenous vein. But how can you do the dissection? You have to flex the knee. It's very awkward to do that in the context of trauma. What you can take is the superficial femoral vein. You can take that. We, can, we use a superficial femoral vein on both legs for something called the NACE procedure. If we have an infected aortic graft, infrared aortic graft, and we want to reconstruct that, we can use the superficial femoral, femoral vein from both legs to do the NACE procedure. So you can take the superficial femoral vein and the superficial, uh, the short saphenous vein as well. Um, so, does anyone have any more questions? I think they're all done with questions. Um, thank you, Dr. Ahmed. This was a great lecture. Thank you. And, uh, okay, so we have one more question. So, uh, when is it ideal to take the saphenous vein shaft? The saphenous vein uh, shaft? Yes. When is it ideal to take it? So the, the saphenous vein, the great saphenous vein is, uh, is uh, we can use it in all of uh, ways. You can uh, you use it for a uh, femdistal bypass. You can use it to, to reconstruct your uh, ICA. You can use it to do uh, it as a patch as well. So you can do a lot of things with it. Uh, I think you can, Whenever you're in doubt and you want to fix something in a contaminated field, the great saphenous vein might be of a good help. Another question, it says, is it possible to use dilated great saphenous vein? So uh, dilated in terms of uh, 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 um, Varicose veins like the, I, will, I wouldn't use it if it's damaged and dilated, to be honest. If it's in the context of varicose veins, it's not, no, I will not use it. It has to be a healthy, good three millimeter diameter, 2.5 to three millimeter diameter great saphenous vein. If it's dilated, no, I wouldn't use it. One more question so far. Um, you go to in case of injury and to internal carotid arteries during vascular disease called myomoya -mo -moya disease. What's the best treatment? And how do you gain blood supply to the brain? Well, uh, we're not in Japan, so 
Moya Moya is, uh, I think it's, uh, it's not, I haven't seen a single case of Moya Moya. And if you want to do a Moya Moya case, the last thing I remember is from the textbook I read for my exam. So uh, Moya Moya is, uh, is, I think it's uh, typical or related to uh, people from Japan. But anyways, uh, as far as I remember, there are multiple uh, different options to treat Moya Moya. One of them is intracranial bypass, but I, to be honest, I haven't seen a single case of this. It's not very, very common. Something you read for your exam and, and, uh, and forget, to be honest, unless you're from Japan. And uh, Dr. Sayed is saying it's becoming common in Western countries nowadays. Really, I haven't seen a single case. Um, so Dr. Fahad Dosri is asking, in case of oncovascular surgery, do we use the same procedures? I'm what, sorry? A case of... Uh, in, in case of oncovascular surgeries, do we use the same procedures? Okay, so this is interesting. Oncovascular surgery, so if you have a... If you have a, uh, if you want to reconstruct, for example, leiomyosarcoma uh, of the IVC, you can reconstruct the IVC with PTFE, with large PTFE. Uh, if you want to resect part of the portal vein in a Whipple, you can patch uh, the portal vein as well. It's the same principle, but you need to have a, a good plan. Uh, you cannot do this operation as a vascular surgeon alone. It, it's, it has to be combined with an oncosurgeon uh, or a, a hepatobiliary surgeon. If you want to do a reconstruction of the portal vein, uh, reconstruction of the IVC, you can do it also with urology if, uh, if, it's, if it's needed. So it's a, it's a combined approach usually. Uh, we do it together. Uh, my part as a vascular surgeon will be uh, reconst the reconstruction uh, his part will be the oncosurgeon will be the excision of the tumor. Thank you again, Dr. Ahmed. It was an amazing lecture, uh, very informative. Um, and uh, inshallah, we'll, next week's uh, next session on Wednesday will be about burns by Dr. Amnira bin Nakhri. So we're looking forward to everyone and uh, to join us. And thank you. Th I would like to thank all 203 attendees for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. The next lecture is about burns on Wednesday. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Thank I you. I have coffee now. Bye. Yeah. Bye.